I feel that uh, after October 17 or after the protests happened, there's something like there's no going back to what was there before. And this is like more in terms of also our ability to think that we can do something about what's happening around us, more the collective spirit also impact on making a change. realizing that by doing things collectively and that, like for example when a problem happens at a bank they go together to support someone like being in protest putting pressure on the parliamentary session that was happening and cancelled like this power of the collective wasn't there in Lebanon before I mean before you feel that uh, like people had to do things on their own and they were fighting sort of for like a space in Lebanon because otherwise because you don't have services you don't have access to kahaba yeah. whatever so, so the the communal the communal willingness to take action together is yeah. stronger. Yeah, and the power of mm. being together and acting together. When you, I'm, I'm guessing you were on the streets at some point the last three months, and you saw the euphoria on the streets. Did you sense that level of hope during the Ustink protests? Was it there as well, or does it feel like this time? Because you said it earlier that there's no going back. Is that a sign that something good is on the horizon? Uh, I mean, I don't know if I can speak much about the Houston movements mm. because I don't, um, I don't remember them that well. Right, I wasn't right. that involved. I mean, yeah. I wasn't. I I went to the protest and I was part of them, but I. It's not like the protest now where I'm. So where it was involved. everywhere. Yeah, yeah, everywhere, and I'm mm. so involved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had didn't have a political opinion formed back then. I mean, now. Right. Aware of so many things. So, so your your political awareness is more developed now. Yeah. And do you think that's a result of the protests that you're partially? Yes. Mm. Yes. Of course. Okay. I mean, before that, it was just general dissatisfaction with everything, mm-hmm. the political system, the economic system. But I wasn't really involved in like more detail in understanding how things work and. Uh, right. But these these examples, I mean, from my own perspective, when I see people protesting in front of the electricity, the Minister of Electricity, I mean, that to me is more, that's a lot more symbolic than the protests that we're all used to in Martyrs Square, Mm. even though those are important. But it is unusual to see people challenging a ministry, whether it's electricity or, or other ministries. And... When you, when you say the collective action, are you meaning really that just people show up together to take action? Or is it, or is it more than that, that there's a, a new identity that's taking shape today in Lebanon? Um, I think one could create the other. So, mm. Uh, mm. so like when people took down the streets and, and uh, started protesting, I mean, I think they realized that there was this realization that that we're all united towards something like we're all united with something that's uh, like we're all refusing the existing system and we're all protesting mm-hmm. for our rights and, and this has no sectarian overtone it's really just the average citizen wanting that to happen yeah exactly yeah. right like uniting over a collective struggle which which I don't think we weren't necessarily we didn't know of or like we weren't united over there were other things that were dividing people but now like, it's like something broke and 
people realize that. But I, I hear many people say that, that something broke. Can you put words to that? What exactly broke? The fear, hmm. the fear. Hmm. Fear of the other, fear of uh, taking action. Because mm-hmm. I think in Lebanon, you know, we hear for, since a long time that everybody's complaining about the situation, but like, we acquired some hopelessness. But the fear of repercussion? Are you talking about literally fear of being attacked physically, or is it more a psychological fear of of things that maybe we don't talk about that much? I don't know. Maybe because also there's I mean, when the protests first started, there's always this, people were scared always of going back to the war. Right. So there was this ghost of the civil war that was sure. haunting people all the time. Yeah. So whenever somebody takes action, they scare them with the war. Don't do that because we might pull back to the war. Don't do it. Right. And I think people broke, broke out of this a little bit. I mean, the reasons also behind the protests were mainly economic, how they bursted out initially. Mm-hmm. Because so many people, young people also, who are with no jobs, they live under poverty, so so they're, they're also very much affected by the current situation. So more the financial pain than the actual fear of civil war that is driving people to remain on the streets. So the driver behind the... Pro- yeah, it's more yeah. economic. Right. I, mean, I, I, was talk- I was referring to the fear of war as, a, as maybe a reason not to go down the streets. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, uh, right. So that's interesting. The economic pain can make someone demand for change, and being young makes you not worry about the repercussions. So I'm not saying, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not no, but saying it, that. Because both are positive. Both help explain why so many people are still trying. Maybe, I don't know if it's not being scared of repercussions or just not having anything to lose anymore. I mean, That's I true, know. yeah. Right. Which is in itself a byproduct of how bad things have yeah. gotten. Now, I want to... I think, I mean, there was also a build-up of so many events that happened. I mean, the taxes, yes, that eventually bursted out the protests. But before that, like, there were so many things going on that people felt like they were suffocating. Yes. Now, that word, suffocating, I want to... I'm glad you said that word, because I think all of us, depend, uh, despite our financial means in this country, and despite our communal and the other meaning, identity, I think all of us felt that. Mm. And it's an unusual period where all Lebanese are, in a sense, unable to breathe together. And I want to sort of get into what you do, which is, in a way, maybe giving oxygen to those that can't breathe. Um, the, the stress that we're all familiar with in Lebanon, and the emotional stress, the, the sometimes the physical stress, the financial stress, economic stress, and mental stress, all of these things. In your opinion, the last three months, have they helped alleviate some of those stresses, or are they perhaps contributing in ways that we're not used to? And what I'm asking here is just, you've now had three to four sessions that deal with stress and mental health and mental stress to to a degree. Do you sense that the, the revolt is letting people sort of helping people de-stress in their own ways? Or is it maybe putting more anxiety to the average person 
I think it's both. Both. Not because of the protests themselves. I think it's because of the situation itself mm -hmm. and how much it's worsening. And, uh, I mean, of course, to, I mean, speaking, I mean, I speak of myself. Like when, when the protests first started and we were going down the street, it was very. It felt very good to be down there. It was like a pain relief almost. Yeah. yeah. But there was also this emotional. It was also daunting emotionally and overwhelming because, uh, because of the level of uncertainty, like we don't know what's going to happen, how long is this going to last, are the protests going to last or not, right. is this going to succeed eventually, will it not succeed, will we be in a worse situation, will we be, be, be better, so there are all these questions. And I mean, now looking back, because some time has passed since this started, do you sense that people are are able to cope with what's going on on their own or do they need do they need actual you know not more than just communal solidarity because i from my own take i sense that people are far more pessimistic today than they were on october 16th a day, a day before the protests and i know that this is a very subjective answer but just i think it's you know. very i mean i don't think we can say that people are feeling better or worse. I mean, I think, I think it depends on so many factors. Mm. So their mm. economic situation, how much they're affected or not. Right. If they have a support group around them, they don't. I mean, there are so many factors. What are their economic situations? I think it's hard to say that yeah. generally if they're feeling better or worse. I like that you said it could be both. Yeah. In some ways better, in some ways maybe yeah. not. And I want to get to your own personal story. What made you want to tackle mental health? as an issue to begin with. And I know that you initially were going to do this despite the revolution, that this was starting anyway, and the revolution kind of gave it a boost, mm. probably for the right reasons, that more people wanted to attend your, uh, your, your, your talks. Mm. But what made you want to address this issue? Um, so this comes from a very personal story. Because my mom has been struggling with mental health for a long time, and we also, I mean, we struggled to help her also because of, I mean, mental health is not a topic that is really given so much importance in Lebanon. Yeah. Therefore, the services that are related to mental health are poor services. Yeah. And if you want to get good services, I mean, they're also expensive. So you're not talking about medication. You're talking about any any type of yeah hospitalization, sure. Sure. medication, yeah. anything yeah, yeah. related to that. Mm. So uh, so yeah. So this has been going on for a long time, and recently she was hospitalized in, in summer. And uh, and I mean the initial idea was to do a fundraiser to help her. That was where okay. the, how the idea of the event started, and then when we talked about uh, the events with the people here at Iraq, hmm. we had this idea of also doing a storytelling event. I mean, because a, fun a fundraiser would just be a one-time thing and wouldn't really create more awareness about the topic. Or so that's so the fundraiser became, in a way, more than yes. just a fundraiser. That it, attracted. it became a storytelling. Right. And so, so that's really born out of your own personal story with yeah, your mom. It was. Can I ask you, in your opinion... I mean, we're talking summer of 2019, so what, this is not, it's rather late in terms of general mental health awareness in general. I mean, other, it's been discussed here 
and it's not discussed enough, but we're rather, we're doing a bad job at touching on an issue that is huge to this country. Why do you think there's that much hesitation? To talk about And to talk about it, and more than that, to actually address it head on. Because I think you're describing all these things combined. You, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the main issue is with um, the general the social perception of mental health and how we understand mental illness. We understand it as something that is... uh, When somebody is struggling with mental illness, we see them as uh, weak. uh, Mm. We see that they are the problem. We don't see what Mm. created the problem. We don't understand the person. We consider them as as if it's their own choice. Right. Sort of blaming the victim in a way. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And isolated people who struggle with mm. Could you point out reasons why that is so structured, as opposed to the opposite, which is, mm. let's help this this group of people that need it? Why do you think it's so rigid? I think it's not. It's outside of the norm. Mm. Everything mm. that's outside of the norm is usually criticized. Mm-hmm. 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 If it doesn't, if somebody doesn't look or talk or think the same, they're automatically marginalized. Did you sense that with your own personal story that your mom was being, that, that, that not you in particular, but those that you would expect to react differently were acting that way? Yeah, I mean, most of the people that hmm. we encounter, even at the mental hospitals that there, yeah. the nurses, the doctors, they treat the patients as if they're... They're not saying there's something wrong with them. They don't know what they're doing. And they, and they don't have agency or autonomy. Or and that's at the hospital itself. And that's at the hospital. Were you able to get your mom out of that situation? Um, I mean, it depends what we mean, out of that situation. I mean, is she, is she still in that... Hosp- she's not at the hospital no. now. She's okay, okay, but, uh, right. But I mean, she's stable now at yeah. this stage. And I think this is the best luck we can have, just to get her to be stable. But are those the circumstances that made you want to do this kind of fundraiser and and storytelling in general, that you saw what was happening to your mom directly? Yeah, I mean, definitely comes from a personal experience and some reflections on the whole issue in general. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And seeing other, I mean, of course we all meet people who also are struggling. We all struggle, I mean. Yeah. I struggle. I have friends who are struggling. Mm-hmm. So it's also, I mean, it's not so far, maybe it's more visible with some other people, but it's not really, it's, it's everybody goes through this more to a certain extent. But let me ask you, this is the most private form of struggle, where somebody who's unwell, mentally unwell, that it's not something you want to share anyway. Or you find it difficult to maybe let those that you trust mm. in on your innermost problems. Is there any sort of empowerment that you could find? I think that you wouldn't want to share it. Mm. I think mm. we're just scared to share it because of the repercussions. Right. Because of the social, negative social perception. Yeah. Because if you say that, I don't know, I cannot get out of bed, I'm very sad, I and mean, somebody would tell you that, of course, you can get out of bed. I mean, it's not that big of a deal like what's wrong with you so it's like the blame directly would be on the person yeah who's struggling and you don't want to hear that you don't want not to be understood because you know? it's a form of rejection in a way that your yeah, pain is. is being dismissed and, mm-hmm. and 
I think people who are struggling with mental health, I mean, relax, they want to reach out the most. It's a, it's, it's a bit of a, a misconception that we think that people, like, they, they don't want to reach out and they're closed off. Oh, so you sense that it's the opposite, yeah, that they do want to share. Yeah, oh, okay, okay. So, I, you know, I got a glimpse of that, and I was a little startled when I came to your session a month ago. I was, in a way, almost shocked that people were willing to be that personal with their pain. But I have to say from my own, my own very amateur eyes that this is the most unusual place in Lebanon. Because, <laughs> I mean, people are expressing their inner pain, everyone's comforting, and, I mean, it's just shocking to see that happen. Does it? Do you sense that there's ways to expand these kinds of ideas to make it a little more bigger than a storytelling event, where this could be addressed institutionally? I mean, for now, it's a storytelling event. It could develop into something more, but it all depends on like what the people who are coming to the event would really feel mm. needs to be done. I mean, it's not up to me to come and say I think that this is what we should do about this. I think it, mm. I mean, within the same spirit of the storytelling, so for, with the storytelling event, it's the people who are coming and are sharing it. So it's about the people who are participating in the event. And without them, I mean, there's no event really. Sure. Yeah, you need people to express their Right. It's pain. about yeah, the people course. who are coming and sharing their stories. Yeah. And I think whatever happens next has to be in line with that. So it's mm. these people I mean, people who are coming here and sharing their stories, they're suggesting also. Right. We're trying to find a way, of course, to do all of that. But I think it's a bit early to start thinking about But the confidence is, is quite impressive. That people, if they feel comfortable and they feel protected, that they're willing to do what you're saying. Do you think there's any room for education to tackle mental health issues in Lebanon? Because I know you said outside the norm, but that's, that's in a way, that's a cultural issue. Yes. Or, or even for that matter, um, g- gender identity or sexuality, these things are still unfortunately deemed wrong or, or incorrect or whatever you want to call it. But education does play a role in at least making people reconsider their judgments. Is there anything that they can be done here for that, for mental health? I mean, I think definitely at the level of education, I mean, if we learn about these things differently, mm. if, we, if we even learn about these things, like not even, because I don't think yeah. we learn about these things, sure, unless yeah. we do psychology at university, and even psychology, I mean, if you study, that's just my, my own reflection, but the, cor- the course that, uh, I mean, I did a minor in psychology, and one of the courses that, that I took, okay. it was called Abnormal Psychology, yeah. so <laughs> I think the issue starts there. Sure. <laughs> The course is called that. So. <laughs> it's still called abnormal psychology. Yeah, it is called abnormal. I did a ma- I majored in psychology 20 years ago, okay. and I thought abnormal psychology even back then was a bit abnormal. Yeah, yeah, it's still called abnormal. It's still called abnormal. Wow. So, so that's I mean, interesting. if you take a course that's called abnormal psychology, yeah, you're of course you're gonna think that this is not normal, and you have to treat it. I mean, this is also this mindset of having to treat it like it's a disease. You know? Right. Right. I mean, it is, it is mainly related to education and how we learn about it. But aside from the university electives, I don't think it's addressed no, anywhere else. I don't think so. But, is, I mean, can you see a way to maybe make this issue addressed at an earlier age where people are more tolerant mm. towards mental health, period? Because I, I fear that the, the prescription drugs have become tolerated. 
Yeah, and it's normalized. It's normalized, which is strange because what they're treating is still not normal, but the drugs are, which is almost like the wrong thing is being normalized here. Yeah, yeah, and the drug. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, it just drugs you. It doesn't really solve sure, what yeah. you're struggling with. I mean, it doesn't really yeah. give you an answer to whatever is going on with you. It just sedates you and yeah. makes you go on with your day. I don't know how you would go on with your day. Is there a way to just make it a little more institutionalized? Not necessarily you as yeah. a storyteller, but I mean just mental health issues in general. In general. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's something, of course, there are ways. I mean, and it's also interesting now that you're saying that uh, it's normal to talk about the medication <coughs> and not about the problems. Because yeah. the medication makes you the problem, right? Right. So now I'm thinking out loud that makes you look normal and uh, functional, as opposed to whatever you're struggling with. It's normal to, uh, I don't know, take some other drugs, as right. long as you're showing up to work and, and going to the supermarket. And yeah. So confidence issues are addressed through plastic surgery. <laughs> Mental health issues are addressed through off-prescription yeah. drugs. Civil war issues are addressed 30 years later in a revolution <laughs> that should have happened three decades ago. <laughs> That's a good one, the last one, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it seems like there's a, there's a structural issue in this country that is, that is very... Uh, it's well-preserved, well-entrenched, which is not talking about things that matter. Right. The beginning of this, you, you were talking about the way people are protesting today, which is they're protesting about things that matter. I always see that that's the magic of the moment now, mm. where people are demanding something basic, you know, almost like uh, personal dignity. And I wanted to ask you, do you see that what's happening today, if you're to project a bit into the future, that the issues that are oftentimes neglected will, it will naturally come out of this moment? I mean, I think there are so many things that are materializing, also organizing. I mean, there are so many things that are coming out from protests, mm. just organized groups that are addressing different issues that are now arising, yeah. also restructuring uh, syndicates or, or, or having alternative bodies to syndicates that right. are playing a, a, a proper role as opposed to how syndicates are working. So that is that is the beginning yeah. of something So like there is space for like something else to happen right. outside of this existing system, mm -hmm. which was the case, I think, before. There was, this was happening in English. It was not visible that much. Like People were organizing. There was space because of the gaps I mean, that, are, as, that are resulting from the government's dysfunctionality yeah. and uh, I mean there's so many gaps to be filled in Lebanon so there, there's always space to do something and to organize and right. to, uh, but now it became more like I think the pace is faster and people are organizing quickly and, and uh, why do you think that is? is it, is it a form of just impatience that people are I think it's out of need need yeah and also people feel they have more the power to do that mm-hmm them on the street against the government and right, there's more right. power to organize and do things in a different way. Right. I think so. I think all of us have seen and experienced things in this country that none, that we didn't need to experience. And there's also there's war trauma too. There's a lot of a lot of sort of things that people have seen here and they, they just adapted to it. And you're own experience, do you sense that just being here makes mental health a more severe problem? That the location, the atmosphere in this country, the way people have to deal with things in general, 
fact that mental health is a more pressing concern in Lebanon than it is, let's say, in, in Sweden or wherever, in, in a country that has it, has mental health problems, but it's clearly not the same issues here, and they're able to maybe deal with it in a different way. I mean, I definitely think that the things that we have to deal with here, mm. I mean, they're mentally exhausting. Yeah. Because, I mean, <laughs> from the moment you wake up until you go back to bed, I mean, there's so many things that you have to navigate. Right. I and mean, from the simplest, like, yeah. from the simplest things, uh, traffic, uh, yeah. getting to work, yeah. the type of job that you have that you cannot leave because you might not find another job. Right. Um, so there's so many things. Also, I mean, I don't know. Being a girl living in Lebanon, mm. I mean, this in itself, navigating society, this is exhausting in itself. I mean, there's so many things that you have to navigate. But does the exhaustion sort of contribute to the general sort of mental health of... of it affects the mental health. Because mm. mm. yes. it puts you in a position where you have, I mean, in a position of struggle and you have to fight. Right. And you're always fine. I mean, some people cannot, are unable to fight. You just said that that's five things you have to deal with by waking up in the morning. Yeah. And I doubt you're going to go and tell your friends, I, I'm a woman and I have to deal with traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone will understand what you're saying. I want to throw something on you. I couldn't sleep. Mm. I was refreshing my Twitter feed regularly, like an idiot at four in the morning on my phone, can't stop looking at my phone because of an event that happened in Iraq, mm. waiting to see what will happen. And a consequence of that is whether or not it'll have repercussions here. So that's an event two countries over. and. I mean, I, I imagine many people are in that situation. They're they're waiting to see if it'll hit hard here. Does the location of this country, at least to you, is it a that even even if we're able to tackle the the personal issues that we should tackle, that there's a collective stress that's beyond our control, that is a a regional nightmare that we wake up to every morning. And I know this may be beyond your own scope of what deconstruct is about. But that the stress of Lebanon is so, so multi-layered that it's almost we take for granted how bad the simple things can be, whether it's flooding on the streets or the traffic mm. or even harassment, that we're always more concerned about the bigger issues. Bigger that it maybe has an existential component to it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that it is because we're worried about bigger issues that mm. we necessarily dismiss the smaller ones. I don't think mm -hmm. they're separate. Mm -hmm. okay. I really don't see... It's like when... Um, like the only example I can give is like whenever like there's a fight for, uh, uh, for something related to women's rights mm. or gender equality. Um, so the the, claim, the whatever is being claimed is totally dismissed because it's considered not to be as unimportant, right? Right, yeah. While... While I think what we don't generally understand is that I mean, it's a structured issue and it's a systemic problem. So I cannot say that, uh, that women's rights issues is not linked to the refugee problem. It's definitely all linked. It's not a priority or not a priority. It's, they all that's interesting. Of hmm. I mean, the structure that we live in. So they're not, you wouldn't put weight on one versus no. the other. No. So you see them as a web as opposed to like a layered issue that 
It's yeah, not that. Okay. There's no number one average, but they're just all symptoms of the same. Right. Problem. And that problem may be more universal than local. Because you could then take that problem and apply it to many different countries that deal with that. Yeah, of course. I mean, there. I mean, each country has its own way of mm. functioning mm -hmm. I mean, and its own problems. I can only speak in Lebanon. Sure, That's sure. Yeah. You know, this place. But uh, but yeah, I think the arguments of this request to prioritize issues mm. is just. It's just an argument to totally disregard whatever thing is being made, and it's not really a prioritization issue. Right. I think we need to realize that uh, there's no one number one is women, number two is refugee. I mean, they're all the same thing. I mean, yeah. They're yeah, all yeah. about how we treat marginalized groups, I mean, marginalization and discrimination. I mean, how is it different when we talk about women and we talk about refugees? And then at the same time, disenfranchised groups seem to be most at ease with what's happening the last three months. That you can see a refugee mm. chanting the same slogans as a woman next to a potentially, a, you know, a, another targeted group. Yeah, because they're the ones who are affected the most. I mean, a refugee living yeah. in Lebanon who has barely any source of income. Right. Is not protected by the labor law. Mm -hmm. Is barely getting money. Cannot really rent a proper apartment. And is also discriminated against socially. Yeah. I think they have the right to protest the most. But I don't think it was just a spur of the moment. Mm. I, mean, I think mm. there's a lot of work that is being done like mm. creating awareness on, on the discrimination that's happening against women. And I think just what happened in the protests was a normal manifestation of this level of awareness. I don't think it was just, you know... Oh, that's interesting. So you really... Because I, I always... Not always. I tend to hear the other end of that, which is, no, no, this was a... A buildup of, of quick pain and people couldn't tolerate it, and it almost seemed like a shortened duration rather than. So you see, that it's just a culmination of all the problems. All I the, think all the, so. Hmm, hmm. Generally speaking. Yeah. Well, what is clear though is that whether it's a small room where people are comfortable coming together to share ideas, those ideas could be mental health, could be anything. You project that to Martyrs Square and you see potentially a million people sharing their pain together and no one's afraid yeah. to do so. I think this is huge. And that protests are a form of therapy, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> That's interesting. You see that as a psychological... Uh, yeah, I see it as a form of therapy. Interesting. <laughs> who's, who's offering the therapy? Each other? We're all... Yeah, kind of, I think so. Hmm. The collective, maybe. Yeah. That's what I meant by like more the power of the collective. Right, right. Well, that's free therapy. That's <laughs> <laughs> I think also feeling that we have power, like there's claiming that power, like yeah. back space and power. And well, the powerlessness or the inability to affect change, I think, is so problematic here that people don't feel empowered. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Everyone has that level of they're not responsible for what's happening. It's beyond their control. Mm. Yeah, to different extents. But sure, sure, to different extents. But it's that, that has shifted. Where people that were perhaps least able to confront their problems are now at sort of pushing the hardest. Well, Zena, thank you for your time, and I look forward to attending tonight's event. Thank you.